this is Mike Linstead, president and co-founder of the Nehemiah Project. You are listening to the Nehemiah Project podcast, where we replace hopelessness with hope. Well, we're talking about forgiveness. We are in the second episode today on our podcast series titled, What is Forgiveness? And as usual, I'm here with Mr. Chad Wiles. Chad, what's the Wiles report today? It's been good. It's been uh, a busy season, but uh, nothing new to report. It's been pretty normal family life. Good. <laughs> we like stability. We like consistency. Yeah. These are inherently good things, Yeah. Uh, assuming that they're positive. <laughs> that's right. But uh, that's anything, wonderful. Anything new on the Linstead front? I don't have to pay as much money to go to the Masters University. Hey. <laughs> that's great. So they uh, are going to accept more of my GEs, which is wonderful since I've already utilized all of the financial aid available to me. So that's a good thing. Um, I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. Um, I was doing a little little look at our numbers for our podcast as we were talking about, you know, before we got on online here. And uh, we're growing. Podcast listener, yeah. thank you for sharing this podcast. Yeah, thanks um, for listening. We are averaging now in the last 30 days about 350 listens a week which is wonderful for us. Mm -hmm. uh, comes out to about, I think, roughly 50 listeners, 49 listeners a day, which, I mean, when we first started, it was like a lot less than that. Like you know? 50 a week. <laughs> yeah. So um, now we're up, we're up to 350 a week. So mm -hmm. we just are grateful for the opportunity to bring the Word of God directly to you, listener, through this podcast. And so if you are enjoying this podcast, man, share it with your friends, with your business associates, with your family members. I mean, what we're talking about on this podcast is of eternal significance. Mm -hmm. um, it's so easy to share a podcast. All you got to do is click the share button. Yeah, and um, text it over to somebody. Yeah, maybe it'll change somebody's life. You know, maybe it'll give them that, that, that little glimmer of hope that they need, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many reasons why. But we want to thank you for um, supporting us by listening to us. Um, if you want to keep listening to this podcast, we would ask you to become a builder, obviously, because the podcast is just one of the many things we do here at the ministry, and uh, we could use the money. And yeah. obviously, you'll get a tax write-off for it because we're a 501c3. That's right. So we're very grateful for your support, listener. Please continue to support this ministry so that we can see more people's lives affected for the kingdom of God. And so with that, let's dive into our topic today. We're going to be talking about forgiveness. Chad, do you want to do a little um, review from last week, and then you can take it from there? Yeah, last week we talked about really the unbiblical view of forgiveness, the idea of unconditional forgiveness, which is not how God has designed it to work. Uh, his love is unconditional. Our love as Christians should be unconditional in terms of our heart and demeanor towards even those who've sinned against us. But the act or the um, transaction of forgiveness mm. requires repentance. And uh, we talked about the two that really are in our world, in the church world and in the psychology world, which is the idea of unconditional forgiveness, which is rooted in universalism. Uh, universalism is essentially because Christ died on the cross, everyone's saved regardless if they acknowledge God or not. Yeah, which you is, could be a Buddhist and be saved. You could right. be a Muslim and be saved. Which is not true. And then therapeutic forgiveness, which the point of therapeutic forgiveness, much like unconditional, um, doesn't require anything on the offender's part, but the focus of therapeutic forgiveness is just your own good. Right. It really is selfish and selfishly motivated. And that's what I was 
that's basically what I was taught my whole life, and that's mm-hmm. kind of what the world sort of puts out there. It's yeah. like, you just need to let it go, man. You just right. need to forgive and, and move on, right? Right. And what you're saying is that is not how God has constructed forgiveness. Right, and that's not loving to anyone else because if someone has sinned against you, the most loving thing is to bring that before their attention so yeah. they have the opportunity to repent, opportunity to grow, an opportunity to repent before the Lord if, yeah. uh, if that's what's needed. Unrepentant sin leads to death. Yeah. Right? The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life mm-hmm. through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So we, we can't just therapeutically forgive our forgive and move on. Right. We're basically just saying, all right, cool if you go to hell. Yeah. And the reality is it doesn't actually work. Um, you're still going to struggle with bitterness, mm. and that's still going to be in the back of your mind. Um the best thing you can do in that mindset is to basically cut that person out of your life altogether, mm. which even if someone does repent for their sin, in some cases, it may not mean reconciliation in terms of like entering back into life together. But in most cases, it should mean that. Um, and so you just end up isolating yourself from people. Mm-hmm. Um, and also in the therapeutic forgiveness sense, there's no examining of your own heart. Is it even true that they've sinned against you Mm. or maybe there's sin on your part that you need to repent of too um and so that selfish mindset selfish motivated it it really is just ultimately going to lead you to isolation yeah and i just want to add a comment to that because there's that that tendency for you know sinful mankind Mm -hmm. uh to to set themselves up as sort of like king or queen, right? And every, yeah. everything has to revolve around them, right? right. So we can do no wrong, but everyone can wrong against right. us. Everyone's wise in their own eyes, right? Right, and and so we're kind of like layering sin on top of sin, on top of sin, on top of sin in our own hearts because we're not actually doing any of the introspective work mm-hmm. uh, that the scriptures tell us that we should be doing, mm-hmm. you know, for Christians especially, obviously. Right. Uh, so yeah, that's not good either. <laughs> right. So... On all fronts, those are false views of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And so today our, our focus is to define forgiveness biblically, and really we're going to look at God's forgiveness of us because our main passage that we're going to be rooted in for this is Ephesians 4.32, which says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Mm. And that imperative right there should cause us to think. We are to forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven us. So that causes us to ask the question, how has God in Christ forgiven us, right? Mm -hmm. In order to imitate something or someone, you must first understand what it is or who it is, right? And so we are to imitate God in this way, and so we must really understand how has God forgiven us, right? Mm -hmm. And so our first point, and then, Mike, I'll have you look up 1 John 3, 4, if you would. We'll read that in a moment. But our first point underneath this is why do we need forgiveness? That should be the next question we ask, okay? How has God forgiven us in Christ should then cause us to ask, well, why do we need forgiveness? And so the first point of that is everyone has sinned against God. Mm -hmm. Everyone has broken the moral law of God, which that is the definition of sin. So 1 John 3, 4, Mike. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Okay. So, and that is true for everyone. All of us have done that. 
we're all guilty of failing to do what God requires, mm-hmm. right? We, we're also actively doing what God prohibits. That is the nature of our sin. Mm-hmm. And this transgression is against the law of God. That's why we are not able to be in relationship with God is because we continually sin against God. Um, and we're all guilty of this transgression. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 5.12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Romans 3.10-12, none is righteous, no, not one. No one, who, no one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Everyone, because of the fall of man, because of the first sin of Adam and Eve, we are born with sin, and we all sin against God. So we've all committed a transgression against the holy God. Therefore, we must need forgiveness in order to be made right with God, right? Um, Mike, would you grab Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, because this one will get us into what are the results of that sin, if you will. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, amongst whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So, Mike, what is the results of being in opposition or sinning against the Holy God? Uh, Death. And God's wrath. God's wrath. So let's take a moment just to think through that for a minute. What What does God's wrath entail? What does that mean? Well, that's a big concept, <laughs> yeah, but I yeah. mean, at, at the end of the day, that means God is against you. Mm-hmm. I mean, right. that, that really sums it up, and that can manifest in horrific right. things. If you listeners want to really get a clear picture of what the wrath of God looks like, um, go to Deuteronomy chapter 28, start mm-hmm. at verse 15 and read all the way through verse 63. Uh, that that is literally the yeah. pouring out of God's wrath, and it gets extreme. Like you don't want that. Like right. there's nothing you can even imagine that would even get close to the wrath of God in its fullness right. being poured out on you. Yeah, and because of God's holiness and goodness, He's perfectly just. Therefore, He has to punish sin and transgression. Mm-hmm. Right? He wouldn't be perfectly just if He didn't do that. Just a note on that, like yeah. in the Old Testament, <clears throat> people usually associate it with an angry God, right? Mm-hmm. The, I mean, it is true that God is angry against sin. He hates sin, absolutely hates it. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the holiness of God as it pertains to sin is violent mm-hmm. against sin. Right. It is violent. Right? Mm-hmm. That's what we have to understand. So the wrath of God is that is that manifestation of his holiness against mm. evil and wickedness right there's a purity to god's wrath yes you know it, the the strength of it reminds me of like when you get something in concentrate you know like a hot sauce or something it's like you barely Ooh. one little drip and the whole thing's hot like <laughs> you couldn't stand withstand it it just makes me think like only you <laughs> would make an <laughs> illustration of god's wrath and hot sauce uh, it took me back to uh, trips to gatlinburg tennessee yeah. where you go to the little hot sauce hut you know and you get, 
You, they got the little toothpick, like just put one little drop yeah, on a like chip. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's so magnificent. Right. Like, you know, it's just so magnified. It's so intense. Exactly. It burns, right? God, our God is a consuming fire. Right. right. You look at Mount Sinai, right? I mean, right. all these pictures. And we have to understand that in order to even be able, be able to understand God's forgiveness mm -hmm. and the grace that his forgiveness truly is because God is also perfectly loving and he's also merciful. And so that is why he sent Jesus Christ. So that shows God's mm -hmm. unconditional love that everyone who deserves his wrath and him knowing that, he has made a way for forgiveness and reconciliation. Yes. And that's Christ. Mm -hmm. But there's a condition upon it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and just to go a little bit further in his wrath, the penalty for the sin is death in a place called hell. And that's, mm -hmm. that's really our picture of God's perfect wrath. Cause you're either going to have your sin paid in one of two places. Either you're accepting the gift of Christ's forgiveness, which Christ bore the wrath of God on the cross. Mm -hmm. And so your sin is still being, um, poured out on. It's just, it, his righteousness gets counted to us or, you deny God and deny his Christ, and then you you spend the rest of eternity um, dealing with the wrath of God yourself. Mm -hmm. um, Luke 12, 5 says, But I'll warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I told you, fear him. Speaking of God, right? Romans six twenty three a for the wages of sin is death. Mm -hmm. Um John three thirty six. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but yeah. the wrath of God remains on him. If I could just read one parable by by the Lord, just to kind of show this, because you're using debtor language in a yeah. sense, right? Like we all owe a spiritual debt, yeah, to God. I mean, there's a real theology behind that. Mm -hmm. um, and and like you said, I'm just reiterating things you said, and then I'll read this parable. Please do. You know, there's only one who has the funds that will satisfy the debt that you actually owe. Yeah. Right? And that's Christ, right? Right. His blood is the currency of the transaction. Exactly. And um, that blood is eternal, mm -hmm. um, which is necessary because mm -hmm. God's wrath is eternal. Right. Right. And so... Because God wouldn't be perfect and just if he overlooked the sin without a payment being made for it. Right. And remember, his wrath is an extension of his holiness, which is a part of his character. It's a summation of who mm -hmm. he is, right? So mm -hmm. his his wrath is eternal. Um, it will be poured out for all eternity. Right. right? That's the thing we have to understand. Um, and, and with the, how intense it is, it, it can be equally said that's how intense his mercy is. Absolutely. You see, it's like yeah. a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. But um, so, so there's a parable in Matthew chapter 18, starting at verse 21. It goes all the way through verse 35 of chapter 18 in Matthew, but um, it's the parable of the unforgiving servant. Yeah. And, and you know, this, I don't know, I don't want to jump ahead of you here, Chad, but I'm just going to read yeah, the whole thing. Um, then Peter came up and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Mm. Okay, there's this is economic language. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. That's an astronomical amount of money, yeah. right? 10,000 talents. Um, a talent was a monetary unit worth about 20 years wages mm. for labor. So what I don't even know what the math is, but it's multiple lifetimes, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're not gonna be able to pay it off in your lifetime, right? Mm -hmm. um, I guess uh, today vernacular would be like, uh, you owe the 
in back taxes, a uh, hundred trillion dollars, right? <laughs> right? Let's just put it that way. Right. Okay, that's literally like what it is here. Mm. It's, an un- it's an unpayable amount. Verse 25, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring the master, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. His master obviously knows this guy's not going to mm-hmm. be able to pay this, right? Verse 27, and out of the pity that the master had for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Mm-hmm. Pity, right? Compassion, right? Be kind and tenderhearted. I was just looking up those words in Ephesians. Yeah, um, It's compassion. Mm-hmm. It's just having a compassion, the ability to forgive and pardon. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and verse 28 says, and when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a denarii, a hundred denarii, rather. And now a denarii is a one-day wage, mm. not 20 years, a one-day wage. So this guy owes him a hundred days worth of wages. And it says, um, the servant began to seize that other servant and began to choke him, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then the master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also... My heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Mm. So within the context of forgiveness, this is what Jesus has to say. Absolutely. And that's a, that's a good segue into our second point is God's forgiveness is not unconditional. His, he forgives on the condition of his grace. Mm. And those two conditions are faith and repentance, mm-hmm. right? Or repentance and faith, whichever order you want to put them in, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. First um, John 2, 1 through 3, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's the propitiation for our sins. Not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Mm -hmm. We often confuse God's love, which is demonstrated to the whole world through the death of Christ and the offering of forgiveness to the whole world. So we've been talking about this. God's love is unconditional and is offered to the whole world. And forgiveness is offered to the whole world, but those who would receive forgiveness are those who repent of sin mm. and trust him as Christ through faith, mm-hmm. right? Because um, his love, you know, Romans 5, 8, God shows his love for us while we we're still sinners. Christ died for us. That's the expression of his love. Mm-hmm. Not when we clean ourselves up, not when we're good, mm-hmm. not by works as Ephesians 2, but while we were still sinners, Christ dies for us, mm-hmm. and the offering of forgiveness is offered to the whole world, but it's only to those who repent and have faith in Christ that you're forgiven and saved by God. Yeah, and I'll just go back to that parable I just read and then tie it into Ephesians yeah. uh, 4, you know, 
again, I just want to reiterate that the the servant in that parable had an insurmountable amount of debt. Mm-hmm. Like there's no way he could right. have paid that off. Can't pay it on his own. Right. While we were still sinners, while we have that insurmountable mountain of debt, God, it, through Christ, mm-hmm. because he is who he is, right? He has compassion on those who right. don't deserve it. He forgave us. Mm-hmm. And well, what are we supposed to do with that after we've been forgiven? We're exposed, We're supposed to uh, extend that forgiveness to our brothers and sisters, to other people, as God in Christ forgave us. Mm-hmm. But but as we've been talking about, that doesn't mean that we just have good feelings towards other people when they've wronged us. It doesn't mean that we just sort of forgive them in our own heart and move on, right? Mm-hmm. We're called to bring out the sin in others in our brothers and sisters for the for the very purpose of sanctification, but even mm-hmm. more so, like so that we show that love, right? Yeah. Like we extend that that love towards them by saying, "Hey, brother, like, man, what you said to me the other day, or what you did to me the other day, or you know, whatever, that was sinful, dude, mm-hmm. and and that actually had a real effect on me. And um, I want to forgive you, but I have to bring that up. Like, you have to repent from that, you mm-hmm. know." And so, so in essence, that's what we're talking about, Absolutely. right? But Jesus has gone to great lengths to show us that, not just through his own life, mm. but also in the parables that he spoke. And his sacrifice fully satisfies the wrath of God. Mm-hmm. That, that word propitiation mm-hmm. means to appease or to atone for, to, to be full in its payment, right? Um, Christ, at the point of faith, we're justified before a holy God, we're mm-hmm. made right. Uh, that's the, called the doctrine of imputation, mm-hmm. meaning his righteousness gets credited to us. Mm-hmm. God sees the blood of Christ on us and sees that we are good. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've been studying Lamentations quite a or mm-hmm. not Lamentations, um, Revelation mm-hmm. <laughs> quite a bit. I looked at Lamentations too. Yeah, that too. Yeah, yeah. But that idea of, of being written in the Lamb's Book of Life mm-hmm. or that like we are taken from death to life. Mm-hmm. And it's because at the point of salvation and faith, it's, it's like being in a courtroom and God seeing, okay, your penalty has been satisfied. Mm-hmm. Therefore, you, you're you now able to be free. Yeah. The miracle of, of atonement too is, is the propitiation word mm-hmm. has everything you've just said tied up into it. Mm-hmm. And it has more than that. It has expiation as, right, as well, mm-hmm. which is just a technical way of saying removal. Mm-hmm. So not only has Christ's righteousness been imputed to you, mm-hmm. uh, but also the sin that you, in fact, are guilty of has right. been totally removed as far as the East is from the West away mm-hmm. from you. Mm-hmm. In, in, in the Old Testament, Day of Atonement, there, there was a picture of this. It was, there was two goats, mm-hmm. right? One was a sacrificial one, right? The lamb, I should say. Yeah. There's two sacrifices. Uh, the lamb, we know that well. Right. The blood of the lamb, right? Okay, that's the appeasement mm-hmm. part of it, right, mm-hmm. that you mentioned. That's tied up in this word propitiation. But then they also had the scapegoat. Right. Where the, the imputation factor was the high priest would place his hand upon the lamb. Um, I'm sorry, the goat in this case. And that would signify this imputation of the sin of Israel. Mm-hmm going into the goat and then they would take that goat and put it outside the camp and it would go off into the wilderness mm-hmm. right and so there's both of those ideas yeah. in this term propitiation it is appeasement mm-hmm. um and also 
complete and total removal, mm-hmm. right? So it's like that's the miracle of it. Yeah, you know, and, and it's a beautiful term. It's it's jam packed full of meaning. Uh, um, that's that's shown in the Old Testament and obviously in the death of Christ. Yeah. Hey everyone, it's Mike here. If you enjoy listening to the Nehemiah Project podcast two times a week, then we'd ask you to consider becoming a builder. What is a builder? A builder is a monthly donor, someone who believes in what the Lord is doing through the ministry of the Nehemiah Project. And one of the many things that we do is this podcast. Our goal with the podcast is to educate people on what the Bible actually says and to encourage people to carry out the truth in their lives. And so we need the monthly donations from our builders in order to continue this ministry. So if you want to keep hearing these podcasts, we'd encourage you, head on over to tnproject.org slash donate and become a builder today. So let's take a moment to define repentance because we've been talking about that a lot, right? Mm. In order for forgiveness to happen, repentance must happen. So what is repentance? Uh, Mike, read Ephesians 4, 17 through 24, if you could. This this gives us that picture of the put-off, put-on principle of repenting. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Um, absolutely. So there we see this idea of the put off, um, mm-hmm. to, to no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And Gentiles in Scripture represented those who denied God, right? Mm-hmm. Those who are lost, that were darkened in our understanding. You know, we saw that in Ephesians 2, right? Children of wrath. We put that off. We choose, we say, well, I'm, I'm sorry for that. I'm no longer going to do that, mm-hmm. right? And then we renew our minds in the, in the spirit of our minds and the scriptures and in God's word. And we put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true mm-hmm. righteousness and holiness. So it's this idea of turning away from sin, yeah. confessing that sin to the Lord and maybe to those that we've hurt, and then acting in obedience mm-hmm. to the scriptures. That is true repentance. I'll break it down for you. Basically, there's five things here that repentance includes. The first is to acknowledge and agree with God that you have sinned. Mm. Confession. Confession. Say the same thing as. Right. And in that term, it's it's to see it as sin in the way God sees it. So it's not just, it's not worldly sorrow, as 2 Corinthians mm. uh, 7, 7 talks about, where it's, I just want to get out from underneath the the penalty of my choice because mm-hmm. I just, it's really self-motivated, right? It's, no, I've sinned against the Holy God. Like I've broken his moral law. I've sinned yeah. against God and I've sinned against my brother. It's, it's being, acknowledging that and being broken about that and confessing that. 
Then we ask for forgiveness from God. First John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just. Forgive us our sins and mm. cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? So powerful. Yeah. And that's, that's faithful a, and just. Yeah, and that's such a beautiful thing. So many people think about the idea of repenting as a bad word. Like, ah, oh, I sinned again, so I got to repent. Is actually one of God's graces to his children. Yeah. That you see your sin and you have the ability to come before him and lay it at his feet and confess it. And he's always faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Yeah, it's totally a grace because even just looking at Ephesians, right? What did it just describe the Gentiles as darkened in their understanding, right? Mm-hmm. They they don't they don't even able to see it. They don't see it for what it is. Yeah. So it's a complete grace. Like yeah. yeah, people people do not have the option of repentance yeah. unless God has granted that to them. I mean, it explicitly says that in the book of Acts, yeah. right? I mean, it literally explicitly says that. Mm-hmm. So repentance isn't an option for everybody. It's a gift from God to some people. Mm-hmm. We have to understand that. Absolutely. And then in that confession, since you are acknowledging your sin in the way that God sees it, you resolve to turn from your sin. That's what we see here in Ephesians 4. I'm going to renew my mind in what's true, and I'm no longer going to walk in that way because mm-hmm. I know it's against the Word of God. Um, and in that that act of asking for forgiveness, a little caveat, if you've sinned against someone else in that regard, then you go to them and confess it in the same way and ask for their forgiveness, mm-hmm. right? And then once you've resolved to turn from your sin, you renew your mind in God's Word. Romans 12, 2, mm-hmm. 1 through 2, right? Re- be renewed in the spirit of your mind, like renewing it thinking about Psalm 1, meditating on God's Word day and night, all these things that remind yeah. us to do that. I'm thinking about what we talked about with atonement mm-hmm. and how it's a removal of. And so, like, everything you're saying is a, a manifestation of the truth that's our, uh, of your spiritual life that's been given to you in the new man, mm-hmm. right, as it says mm-hmm. in Ephesians, right? Absolutely. You, you're, you're walking out the truth. Right. Like, this is who you are, mm-hmm. right, in Christ. Right. Walk it out. Right. right, and so like we have to renew our minds because we don't even know what the truth looks like. That's right. As a as a callous, greedy, sensual, and impure Gentile mm-hmm. coming into <laughs> the <laughs> sanctified holy life, I got to learn what that even looks like. Right. right. Absolutely. And so the final step there then is walk in obedience to God in His Word, mm-hmm. because that's the evidence of true repentance yeah. is is the walking in obedience. Um. And so I would say. That is what helps us understand what true repentance is. Don't don't just say you're sorry. Don't just do it because you don't want the penalty of your sin. Don't just do it to try to make people happy. Acknowledge your sin before a holy God and see it the way he sees it. Mm-hmm. Renew your mind in scripture. Ask for forgiveness. Turn away from it and put on, walk in obedience to what God's mm-hmm. word says. And you will be forgiven. Yeah, that's so good. And and I would I would encourage the, the listener to get acquainted with the Old Testament um, for, for this particular reason that we're talking about. Like when we understand God's view of sin, mm-hmm. which is so explicit in the Old Testament, I mean, obviously it goes without saying, it is the most explicit on the cross of Christ, yeah. right? We see it like to its max perfection there. But, but, but get acquainted with the Old Testament mm-hmm. for so many other reasons as well. But for this one particularly, because you will see God's view of sin. You know, we, we look at like the Old Testament mm-hmm. law, for example. Mm-hmm. Man, like God says like, 
purge the evil person from amongst you, Israel. Like literally some of the things that they would do, the death penalties prescribed, right? And for good reason. It's sin. It's going to lead to eternal death if it's not, right? Right. And so God, God's seriousness against sin is so explicit in the Old Testament. And mm. that will help us understand the, the need for repentance, right? right? Like the reality is this, like as a callous, greedy, sensual, impure Gentile, right? I'm using the language of yeah. Ephesians. Um, we're like running as fast as we can off a cliff. Mm-hmm. And we're going to fall into that fiery pit of hell, right? Yeah. God's going to place us there if we don't. Um, just read the book of Revelation. I mean, it's the second death, right? That's mm. that is the eternal destiny for yeah. for all of those who think that they're going to be able to afford the debt on their own, the spiritual <laughs> debt, right? right. Um, who would just rather not worry about that debt? It'll just you know keep kicking the can down the road, right? Mm. Um, that that day of reckoning will come, absolutely. And um, and so I would encourage you, listener, to to really get acquainted with the Old Testament, like see sin how God sees it mm-hmm. and and man you will run to repentance right if he grants you that ability to even see it that way that's right and that brings us to faith right the two conditions repentance and faith and Romans 10 9 through 13 really helps us define faith where he says because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead you will be saved for with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved for the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And there's two kind of um, points of emphasis in this, right? Confessing Jesus as Lord, right? True faith comes in believing that Jesus is the Christ and confessing him as Lord. That means like John... 14, um, starting in verse 25, talks about to love every everything less, including your own life, than Christ. Like mm-hmm. That's what it means to make him Lord. You believe he is who he says he is, and you're submitting yourself and your whole life to him, and you're conforming your life to his word. That's what it means to confess Christ as Lord. And we believe that, and we trust that he is who he says he is because of our belief in the resurrection. The resurrection is is the point of emphasis of our faith, right? Mm-hmm. To believe he is the Christ, to believe he is God, that he did raise from the dead and pay the penalty for our sin. I tell people in counseling often that you have to believe in the resurrection the same way you believe in the chair you sit on, right? It can't be this theoretical idea or some story that you're kind of are okay with. Mm-hmm. He's either alive, living and active right now, or he's not. And that's the type of belief and faith that one must have in order to be saved and forgiven by a holy God. Mm -hmm. Um, And then our last point we'll end on today before we, and we'll pick back up next week, is on the idea um, that God does discipline those he loves. Just because we're forgiven by God doesn't mean the elimination of all consequences in this life. Um. We don't want to perpetuate a false theology here that some choices that we make have lasting consequence, even though we're forgiven before a holy God. And even Mm -hmm. if someone else says, I forgive you for what you've done, it may mean that um, your life is forever changed because of a choice, right? If you Mm -hmm. murder someone and you go to death row, you're probably not getting out of jail, even if God forgives you. And even if the family of the person you murder forgives you, Mm -hmm. you still may 
have that consequence, right? Mm-hmm. I use that as an extreme version, um, of course. But let's look at the life of David. Here's a good example of this. Mm-hmm. Um, in Second Samuel, I think in chapter 11, we see the story where David um, sins against his friend Uriah um, with Bathsheba. Many of us have heard that story. Um, and Mike's going to look it up for us here. Oh, yeah. You were right on. Right on? Mm-hmm. So. David and Bathsheba, Second Samuel chapter 11. You want me to read this thing? Uh, sure, go ahead. The whole thing? Not the whole thing. Give us the highlights. <laughs> All right. Here it is. David should be out with his warriors fighting battles, as kings do during this particular mm-hmm. season. Right? It says this, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they went out and fought. Now I'm paraphrasing. But it just so happened that one late afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of his house, he looks down and sees a really good-looking woman taking a bath. Right? So mm-hmm. the point is, David shouldn't even have been there. He should have been out attending to what kings are supposed to be attending to, but he's not. Right? And what happens when he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing? Massive temptation comes mm, on. That's right. And uh, this one's too good to pass up. But it just so happens that this woman that he sees is the wife of one of his most loyal warriors that he's got. And this man's name is Uriah the Hittite. So David does this anyways and ends up getting that woman, Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, pregnant. Oh, but it doesn't stop there. David's now trying to hide this mm-hmm. and so he goes through these these little shenanigans he tries to get uriah super drunk and have him go home and have sex with his wife but uriah is so loyal to right. david and he's he's such a man of integrity mm-hmm. that even though he gets a little drunk right he gets a little merry right yeah he sleeps at the door of david's house he doesn't go home right. and have sex with his wife right uh, and so david's like oh man I, I got. I got to get this. I got to figure something else out. So David comes up with this plot, mm-hmm. and he tells Joab, the commander of his army, that when you send out the battle lines, make sure that Uriah is at the head of that thing, and make sure that all the soldiers know to withdraw together while Uriah begins to fight, and Uriah is going to get outnumbered and killed. Mm-hmm. Right. So he's going to end up killing one of his most loyal warriors, because. He did that guy dirty and ended up having sex with his wife, having sex with Bathsheba and making a child. And look, God is not mocked, right? He sends, in the next chapter, he sends the prophet Nathan to rebuke David. Yeah, he confronts him. Yeah, and in in chapter 12 of 2 Samuel, verse 7, after Nathan's told him this story that... (laughs) David's supposed to get kind of get the elephant in the room picture. David doesn't. And Nathan says, you are that man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul and I gave you your master's house, your master's wives and into your arms and I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, and this is the consequence, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Right. Now, David repents, 
And we can mm-hmm. see his repentance in Psalm 51. He has a true godly sorrow. He does repent. However, God does forgive him mm-hmm. and restores David to some degree, but the sword never does leave David's house. And that child? Dies. Dies. Right. So Nathan told David there'd be violence among his family. And the baby conceived by Bathsheba dies. And David's son, son Amnon would rape David's daughter. And then Tamar. Absalom would even try to... Absalom would, would kill um, Amnon. And Nothing then, but problems. And then Absalom tries to take the kingdom from David. And so the sword never did leave David's house. And how can David be called by the Lord a man after his own heart, someone might ask. Mm-hmm. Well, look what David did when he was confronted by his sin. He genuinely right. repented. He did. And God also showed grace to David. Amen. Because out of that same relationship with Bathsheba, who comes out of that relationship? Solomon. Solomon. And Jesus. Right. Down the line. So the Lord still fulfills his promise to David, although he still disciplines David for his sin. Mm-hmm. So what we don't want to say is just because we confess our sin and, and even mean it genuinely, that that means we don't have to deal with our consequences. That's mm-hmm. not true. And God uses those consequences to discipline us and make us holy, to yeah. help us grow. Hebrews twelve nine through 11 says, Besides this, we have, earth, have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but, the discipline, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant but later it yields peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Mm. The Lord disciplines those he loves, and the consequences of our sin may remain in some regard. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have to have um, true godly sorrow that Second Corinthians 7, 8-11 through 11, uh, shows us and reminds us of. So repentance is part of the Christian life. And when we sin, we must do whatever it takes to make restitution for the sin that we've committed. I want to read 2 Corinthians 7, 8-11 because it, it gives us that idea. In Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, and you can hear this in our snippets right now, the church was doing all kinds of things against the Lord. <laughs> it, was a, it was riddled of sin. One thing after another. And so Paul writes uh, the harsh rebuke of 1 Corinthians and even writes other letters that we don't have that were mm-hmm. even harsher. And then we have the second letter of Corinthians, which is actually the last letter, the fourth mm-hmm. letter. And we see that the people had repented. And here's what Paul says to them in 2 Corinthians 7, 8-11. He says, For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for that I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. Mm. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret whereas worldly grief produces death. For see that, that what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you've proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So there we see the results of godly grief, this eagerness to clear yourself, this longing with zeal to, to make things right. Mm. That is what godly sorrow produces, it's true repentance, right? before a holy God and to those that we've sinned against. I love Zacchaeus for a picture of this, right? Mm-hmm. He's a tax collector. He's been stealing from all kinds of people. And when Christ comes to his house and he repents, what does he do? He pays everybody back. Yeah, He gives the money back. 
you know, because he just wanted to honor God and he wanted to do what was right by those that he had wronged. Mm -hmm. There's this eagerness. And so if you are saying you're repenting, but you have no real desire to truly repent and make things right, it may not be godly repentance or godly grief. It may be worldly sorrow, Mm. right? Yeah. And so I'll leave us with this definition from Chris Braun's book, Unpacking Forgiveness. Um, about God's forgiveness. And then next week we'll we'll finish out this series with a definition for forgiveness for us as believers. How do we Im- imitate God's forgiveness? Mm. But Chris Braun says this, forgiveness is this, a commitment by the one true God to pardon graciously those who repent and believe so that they are reconciled to him, although this commitment does not eliminate all consequences. Mm-hmm. That is our working definition for godly forgiveness, right? It's a commitment by the Father to pardon graciously those who repent and believe, Hmm. right? We talked about this throughout this podcast. That is true, even though some consequences may not be eliminated and they may remain and and used by the Lord to create holiness in Hmm. our lives. I think one of the most impactful words of what you just read was commitment. Like Mm -hmm. God is committed to working with these like these vessels of of clay you know right. like he is he has committed himself to his people mm-hmm. he's he's covenanted with his people yeah. he's written that covenant in Christ's blood yeah um and so that that's a very empowering reality to think about absolutely that the holy god has committed himself mm-hmm. <laughs> for his own good pleasure I mean, he he made the choice to do it that's right um and, and we can take a lot of comfort in that knowing that despite our imperfections, despite our tendency to drift towards sin, mm-hmm. um, that, that he is faithful to that commitment and that if his word, if his son mm-hmm. is dwelling within us, um, we can be rest assured that he who has began a good work in us will see it through That's to completion. Right. We'll bring it to completion. Amen, amen. Well, any final comments, Chad, before we wrap this thing up? No, I think we exhausted, packed that one pretty full. We done did it. Uh, All right. Well, thank you all for listening to another episode of the Nehemiah Project podcast. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Nehemiah Project podcast. For more resources about addiction recovery, suicide prevention, and overcoming other life controlling issues, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram and visit our website, tnproject.org. If you or someone you love is struggling, don't hesitate to reach out to us by calling 985 205 3022.